You are listening to iRadio TT online all the time. Welcome to Music Matters, the Caribbean edition. The podcast series featuring news, interviews and analysis of all the music from the islands. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Music Matters, the Caribbean edition. I am Laura Dowridge Phillips. And I am Nigel Campbell. And once again, we're talking about the business of music here in the Caribbean. Yes, we are, Nigel. And I'm very excited for today's podcast. I can imagine. Um, in our last podcast, we spoke about Marshall Montano's 40th anniversary. And we spoke about the launch of the King of Soca book, which mm-hmm. was written by his mother, Elizabeth Lady Montano, billed as the ultimate insider. There you go. And ladies and gentlemen, today we are very, very pleased to welcome Mrs. Montano to the Music Matters podcast, where we will talk to her about a book. We'll do a little deep dive into the King of Soca book. Um, and, you know, get some, some tidbits from her about, you know, being the ultimate insider. Welcome, Lady Montano. Thank you very uh, much. Thank you very much. Call me Lady. Call you Lady? I will. Okay, Lady. And Laura too. Laura, no Mrs. Montano. You know we go. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that was just for the intro, Lady. That was just for the intro. Very good. But Very yes. Good. But before we start it, we, let me give, let me give the, the, our listeners a little background into, um, what the foundation for this book was laid, um, a few years ago when Lady did her master's in cultural studies and her thesis was called Making the Making of Monk Monte, Creativity and Commodification in Trinidad and Tobago, Popular Culture. And that Lady Foundation for this book, it has been a long, long labor, Lady. Um, so congratulations to you because I know it was a long process. How do you feel now that it's out? Oh gosh, I feel real, real, real excited. Um, I feel fulfilled because it was a long road. Um, having to transform a piece of academic work into conversation, I don't think was kind of difficult for me, but luckily for me, I had a good coach. Nice. And I will let's also, guys, let me give a disclaimer. I have been involved in, in, uh, you know, in my small part in, in ladies' process with this book. And I also had the honor of writing the forward, ladies. Thank you so much. Um, for, for allowing me that special honor. So I will allow Nigel <laughs> to conduct this interview. <laughs> Don't do say it like that now. Don't say it like that. But... No, let Nigel lead this interview. Nigel and Laura, <laughs> we have to learn that mm. the facts are the facts. And Thank you. And you can be free with, you know, I would like Laura <laughs> to talk also because Laura didn't play a small part. Mm-hmm. Right? Laura was there from the beginning with the thesis. Mm-hmm. When he was saying I should not have um, interviewed Michelle because he, he wouldn't say what he would say to other people to me, right? Mm-hmm. Which is the opposite. Mm-hmm. But then he still wanted to create a balance. Mm-hmm. Um, Laura and I sat down and we interviewed Michelle in, um, in LA. I think it was 2014 or, or something around that time for my thesis. Mm-hmm. After that, um, I approached her to write the forward, which she agreed to. And then... I also referenced a lot of her articles and one of them I stumbled upon and it just happened at a time when I was writing the very same thing. Mm-hmm. So Laura didn't play a small role. Oh, thank you, lady. 
I am Laura. You have to be part of this. It is yeah. what is real. We must yes. always let the truth and the real thing go. We you know nothing. Nothing to hide. Yeah. Yes, you know, but lady, I like to be ethical, right? So I will I'll allow Nigel to leave, but I will ask questions. Don't worry. I will, will do, be very involved in this conversation. I will ask the first question, but <laughs> based on that little um, little forward that you just gave there, the idea of objectivity versus subjectivity, which you actually introduced in the in the in the book itself. But let me start at the beginning. Um I have recognized that in the Caribbean, there are not many biographies or memoirs of musicians, and certainly not even in Trinidad and Tobago. So I don't know if you, I, I would like you to elaborate on what inspired this biography, because I think, yes, we talk about the thesis, but my bigger question is, why now? Uh, well, now came about because of the pandemic. And also in 2018, when I was finished with my thesis, I was supposed to be upgraded to a PhD, but it didn't happen. At that time, I was 68. When I asked, well, what do I have to do? They said, well, the next five years. I said, nah, I'm too old for that. But the oh. next five years would have been next year. Anyway, you know, <laughs> and I decided that I'll write a book instead. And mm. I was motivated both um, from positive energy and from negative energy. There were a lot of students that came to me, people doing the MBA, uh, people doing SBA, and they wanted information on Marshall. And I was able to give them from the information that I've collected over the years. And then there were people who were the naysayers or, the, or people who were giving false information. Mm. And I use this one example because I think this is the one that motivated me most is I went to Cuba to a conference where Marshall was the topic. And I remember one of the presenters who, who was talking and delivering a speech, he said, um, he, he referenced a song that Marshall had collaborated with Alison Hines. And that song was Faluma. Mm-hmm. I say, Faluma? I say, Marshall never did Faluma with Alison Hines. And then I said to myself, but why didn't they ask me for the information? Because if anybody knows me, they will know that I love to share and I love to give the truth. You know, and things like that sort of motivated me to do it. In addition to which, I feel that our Caribbean stories must be told. Ah, uh, say that think, again, lady. Lady, say that again, please, if you don't mind. Our Caribbean stories must be told. There you go. Yeah, and I also feel that we must document our heritage. Mm. I had collected 40 years of an archive that I did myself personally, and I wanted to share with this. So that was my motivation. Now that was it. Yeah. Well, as you speak about the archive, I have a list of questions. Laura and I had this little pre-thing. So I, I don't want to come un, unprepared as it was. And I'm going to read this out of you. As a curator of a comprehensive and wide spanning archive of memorabilia and ephemera. <laughs> Basically, you have a, you have an archive and a collection of mem- memories of Marshall that I consider could be on par with what Paul McCartney and the Beatles have and even Elvis. You could have your own Rock and Roll Hall of Fame museum. Because, and that is something that I'm very, very impressed with. And I, I put this book and even an exhibition that he did in 2015, the On Sage exhibition, as part of the kind of documenting of our legacy, which I think is so, so important. 
right? And I'm happy that you did that and more power to you for that. But because yes, we have business. Let me, let me tell you, every time mm-hmm. I, I, I think about throwing away something belonging to my children, I'm like, what would lady do? She would keep <laughs> it because this woman has kept mm-hmm. everything, don't get napkins. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's very important. And, and what you just said, I think is so true about legacy and that kind of stuff. But as I said, the exhibition they had in 2015 kind of led me into a direction that what exists in the in these hall of fames and these museums is this part and parcel of the kind of your your goal towards establishing a let me not put the words in your mouth is there a commercial goal beyond the book for this for, um, for this book to be part of a a museum a part of a, a wider widely available collection internationally regionally just let me know what and um and I am getting right now about to register. We're trying to register this internationally. And um we have ours that anywhere, any part of the world that Marshall is or his managers are or anybody and we want to give them access to the archive, mm-hmm. they could access it. Because like all newspaper articles, videos, um, songs, they can just log in and they could um they could find it and they could download it. Mm-hmm. Um, I am not the curator. I have a curator, Dr. Quinn Johnson. Yeah, Quinn, yeah. Uh, yes. So Quinn came in and we digitize everything. Mm-hmm. And Simone from the office works with her. And this is how it developed. Now we have a little museum, but that museum is just to keep all this stuff in um, a good condition, like um, mm-hmm. we're working in acid-free paper. We keep it in an air-conditioned place. Mm. We have a catalog, that kind of stuff, so that um, we know where everything is. You know, we have um, a dossier. We, you name it, we got it. You know, okay. as Laura was saying, mm. I have done to Michelle um, report books from in school since primary school. Excellent. Then I have the Excellent. famous, the infamous um, diaper. I wasn't, I was telling Laura this. If you don't mind, we just stick it up in here to tell you how old I am. I was in the savannah the night Marshall performed too young to soccer with the diaper and I wouldn't, I wouldn't say be like stockinettes or something like that on. And the diaper yeah. he did pull it, but it was an absolutely brilliant performance. They robbed him, but that's just my opinion <laughs> of that night. And it was opinion him fifth or something. But so. enemies from that competition. Say there one. you go. There but you go. You <laughs> it's, it's such, so it is. But the other thing, the other part of, of course, in addition to collecting all those memories is you are there in the beginning as, as part of that management team, right? That developed his career, that started his career, that now he is the king of soccer after 40 years. Way before 40 years, he was his king of soccer. Let's not play games and put words in our mouth. Um, I don't know if you want to tell us something about those early years in terms of managing his career and where what was the direction you were looking at and how did that develop? And certainly, I know it's chronicled in the book, but you have insight. You're the ultimate insight. If you don't mind sharing it with our listeners, I'd really appreciate that. But I didn't set the direction. And um, when, as part of the management team, both Monty and I, mm-hmm. um, as when we worked together, but Marshall was always the person who led the way. Because from very, very, very early, Marshall knew what he wanted. He, I don't know where it came from, but he knew. And he would ask us, and we would support him, especially me. If he asked me for something, I will get it for him because I know he's not frivolous. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's very, very focused and very deep in whatever he has to do. So therefore, we were there to always support. Even when Michelle was young and he, um, and you find that he had to be interviewed, 
Mm-hmm. When I say anything, mommy, don't confuse me, don't confuse me, leave me alone. And I will sit down <laughs> there, me and my husband, and we waiting, fingers mm-hmm. crossed, toes crossed. What is this boy going to say? And then there he will be with this big mission and vision and mm-hmm. being interviewed in 1985. And he talking about, um, he would like, he will be very innovative and he will, um, he will collaborate with people and he will make the music more palatable to the Caribbean and international. And that, where you get that? And the guy will say, but this is a, a very serious mission. And he would say, yes, very serious. Mm-hmm. You know, and then he will say things like, he wants to do music with the greatest expression of himself and take soca music to the corners of the globe. Yes. And, you know, and you always talk about peace, love, and unity. And we never had to put words in his mouth. So we never had to lead in. He was mm. always sure. What we had to do is, and it's one of the things that I stress there, two things, is that we had a very strong support system. And still, mm-hmm. we have a strong support system for Marshall. Also, Monty and I taught him and Marcus. Mm-hmm. We inculcated certain core values in them as kids, even Nappy and all those who are around us as young boys. And when we look back now, we see where these values have manifested in them as men. And I keep telling people this because I think that parents and the people who are in charge of kids, they are the ones who will help these kids either succeed or fail. Sometimes we try to say it should be the priest, it should be the government, it should be the country, it should be whatever. (laughs) Everybody, we try to put our responsibilities on. Mm -hmm. But I think it's the home and it's the parents. And I want to say especially the mother. Um, lady, I'm, I'm interested as, as a, as a mother of, of, uh, as a mother myself. Um, you know, I, when I had children, I had to learn the hard way. (laughs) It was a surprise to me that when you put your children in any kind of activity, it's not, it's also you involved in that activity. Either you are sitting there waiting for them or you have to get the drinks, you have to get the food. As a parent, you are very involved in that activity. Um, and, and it requires you to make certain sacrifices, of course, as a parent, sacrifices of time, sacrifices of resources. What was it like for you and Monty having, realizing that Marshall had this dream and this vision, um, and, and, and supporting him? What kind of sacrifices did you all have to make as parents to support yeah. him? Well, I didn't feel it was a sacrifice because the thing is, as parents and especially as a mother, I think it was my duty to do that. Mm. Right. So as I, I, I used to tell my kids who I taught in school, I say, when you have children, your life is no longer the same thing as before. And I saw my role as a mother. Right. Yes, I had my career, but I think that um, being a mother is very important. So that what you encourage your children to do, what you are there for your children for is going to decide what your children would become. So I think it's not a sacrifice. It's a duty. And when people ask me, you don't have a life? I say, of course I have a life. My children, that's my life. You know, because I was young and I did all the things that I wanted to do. My mother allowed me. I didn't have any big set of restrictions or anything. Um, So that now that I am responsible for two children and then it eventually came 10 and 20, I think, you know, that was my responsibility. I never looked at it as a sacrifice. And I did it so until, for both sons, until 2014, when I decided, well, I can't take them any further. 
in the sense that I was able to, especially Marshall, I was able to take Marshall from local to Caribbean diaspora. But I wasn't as technologically um, versed mm, yeah. as Marshall was, and Marshall was way ahead of me. I was too old, so I thought that he needed somebody younger. And Chekotari, I think, is by divine intervention because when he came, he came with some people who wanted to manage Marshall, and he just came along for the ride, and he mm. ended up to be a perfect uh, match. Mm. Wow! And and that is um, being able to to know when to step back, being able to know, okay, well, there's only so much I could do, and maybe I need to bring in people who could push him further was very was a very key decision that you made for his career and there's a part of the book where you talk about new strategies the business of music and this podcast we're all about talking about the business of music and you talk about the meetings he would have with Marshall would have with the directors and the areas that you all would look at um you know you'd form a management team and you restructure the administration of the business by employing business managers and you had a legal team and people to look after um marketing promotion social media talk to us a bit about setting up that structure at what point in marshall's career did it become evident that you all needed to have these structures in place because you know you have a lot of artists um, they, they have some success and they, they operate at the same level all the time. You know, a lot of, some people do like to spend money. Some people want to do everything themselves. At what point mm-hmm. in his, in Marshall's career did you all realize, okay, we need to have structures in place. This is how this, we have to run this as a business. From the very beginning, because remember, Monty and I were educators. We, we were not versed in business, versed in the entertainment field. But we, um, we read and Monty is well read. So we mm-hmm. would read about the business of music. And even though we didn't have a complex structure in place, we always had like Monty was the manager and I was the public relations officer. And from the beginning, we had accountants. We had a lawyer. But as we progressed, that same family, the core, which was Monty, Marcus, Marshall, and myself, we would make it our business to meet and to discuss what more can we do, what strategies can we develop to um, be sustainable and also to maintain that um, competitive advantage in the industry. So I think from our interest and our reading, we did that every three or four years. Like the book will show you how we will meet and we will develop. And at present, we are doing that now again. So we are restructuring right now um, with our management team um, in order to do smart business. What direction are you going in? Beyond music? Beyond collections? Into the well, metaverse. I'm not going in any direction because right now I am like a follower. I I am um, I do less work. I provide the history. I mm. provide what is there. And as I say, we now even have business managers and we have accountants and we have local um um attorneys and we have foreign attorneys. Mm. Um, we, we we diversify. We do different things, all being led by Marshall. And as I said, Marshall, and we don't do anything without the decision of the management team led by Marshall. I just want to put this on the record. You are in the same category as these global managers. Beyonce's father was a manager up to a certain point. Michael and Janet Jackson's father was a manager up to a certain point. Effective, they started them, took them to a point where 
in your case, you, you stepped back. I think they were fired, unfortunately. <laughs> but, um, everybody knows these are global superstars and there's something definitely necessary to have that insider knowledge and that connection with the artist to guide them in the right direction. I think even Taylor Swift's mother was a manager. So there's nothing wrong in having a parent as a manager. Certainly, I would suggest that's the best thing. And you've proven beyond a shadow of a doubt, as you said, you're well-read and educated. I'm a kind of a snob for education. That is a necessary part of having the thing. You recognize the, the importance of teams. You recognize, okay, Marshall has a vision. And clearly that that family circumstance made uh, in 1985 was Marshall Tanner. I don't know his age in 1985. But, um, um, nine going on 10. Nine going on 10. And he had these, these beautiful sentences and he had a vision, which is important that that is, that is a credit to you and Monty. So more power to both of you all. Just wanted to get out on the record. Laura, talk to but me. Let me ask where you go, Laura. But um, the difference between me and Monty um, with um, the other parents that were managers, we were never paid. Oh. Right? We, no, we wow. did it. We, we, because remember, we were working at the time. Monty uh, was a, a petroleum geologist and I was a guidance officer after we were teachers. So that I couldn't be fired, mm. neither Monty. Because you know, like <laughs> my lady, lady, I will fire and we make it. I said, but I fire if you deny her, mm. you know. And we will make those jokes. Um, and it was just done because, again, as I say, I think it was necessary. And um, we came out of the Black Power era, and my children were born during that time. Mm-hmm. And again, we go back to the values where we wanted to teach our children about sharing, teaching our children about peace, love, and unity, because at that time, we needed the races coming together. We mm-hmm. also teach them about integrity, working hard, the power of education, to social mobility, and, and mm-hmm. these things, you know, that we, can, we we were not concerned about the money, right? Um, mm-hmm. Like I remember one of the artists, um, Soka artist right now, parent mm-hmm. was their manager and they called me a day and say, I went to school with him mm-hmm. and he asked me, I'm Liz, um, how much do you charge Marshall? What percentage do you take from Marshall as a manager? I say, wow. I don't take any percentage. I don't take any money. I say, but what I do know from my reading is that, um, managers get 10, 15 or 20 percent. Mm-hmm. You know, my thing as a child was always, I want to be able to contribute to see the success mm-hmm. that this that this child or this group could um, achieve. Your rewards are beyond money for all the 40 years, and certainly this book is yours, if I understand it correctly, so that the rewards will continue. But God bless you for guiding the <laughs> King of Soka to be the King of Soka. Now, now lady, one thing about this book, it does not shy away from, it literally is a real biography of everything that Marshall has experienced in his career. The highs and the lows. It doesn't shy away from the controversy. So there's a, a, a chapter on um you know some of the controversies, the what the the Zen the Zen um story, the the getting jailed in, in St. Martin. Um as a as a parent, how do you how do you separate your emotions when things don't always go the way the, the, your child wants them to go or the way you think they should go. How do you, how do you separate your emotions from 
the professional aspect of everything. Because I know, I mean, you and I, lady, we both share, we are both the same horoscope. And I, I don't know, I would want to ride hard for my child if, if something doesn't go the way it's ought to go. If, you know, if he's been maligned, if people are not talking him, if, if, you know, something happens that causes him pain. How do you separate the, the mother from the manager? But you see, first to begin, it's my personality or how I am, right? And the things I believe in, and I know I always say that, um, Lord grant me the serenity to accept the things that I cannot change, the yes. courage to change the things that I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. So I don't work up myself over things that I can't do anything about. If I can do something about something, I do it. So I don't worry. Like, like, um, when, when we, um, got in that problem with, um, in St. Martin, right? I know the truth because I know that we will not and Marshall will not or ever take the chance to bring marijuana in a suitcase after having lived mm-hmm. in Jamaica for three years. And we know that when you come in through the, the first door, they scan your suitcase and that the suitcase is 90 pounds. And the limit is 70. I'm not that stupid. Just remind, our, just remind our listeners what year was this and what exactly had happened. That was I was not going to ask. Yeah. 2003. And we had gone to Canada and then we went to Jamaica and we were going to St. Martin. Um, and when we got to St. Martin, we took up our 27 bags and went. But for some reason, two bags got there with one with my name on it. Elizabeth Montano and the other one with Marcel Montano. But they did not know that we don't ever put Marcel's name on luggage, on van luggage. Mm-hmm. And they put my name and we put E Montano. So that when they asked for all the, um, the tags and we came, all the tags had E Montano. Am I going to be so stupid that I'll put Elizabeth Montano on the one with Come on. Come on. They insulted my integrity and my wow. intelligence. Wow. And I felt comfortable. And, you know, and I never shy away from these things because I grew up in a life where I did, my, my childhood was not one of, um, riches or one way I think. I lived with my mother, my grandmother, and my sister. And I was always like, the leader in the pack, you know, mm. and I always had to be there defending or whatever. I was known for being able to do things and I don't ever get worried as long as I can do it. If I can't do anything, then I'm going to sleep because no matter what, the sun is going to rise the next morning and I'm not going to get high blood pressure. Good. And once I have the truth, and once I have the truth from my children, I'm good. Mm-hmm. Wow. You know, you know that old cliche: the truth will set you free. It literally and figuratively worked in the situation here in Saint Martin. When my parents small; they get licks for that. You know, the father then used to make joke. Oh God! Was this in Europe? Go ahead. Ask Let us know. Ask Snappy. Snappy will <laughs> always tell you when he's talking. Um, you know what, lady used to tell me. Lady, tell me. I'm always talking truth. I can't defend you if I don't know the truth. I always tell them that. Mm. My children grow, so no matter what it is, good, bad, ugly, and indifferent, you mm-hmm. tell me because then I will know that I could defend you. You don't tell me one thing, and when I go to find out, it's something I else. Realize, Come now, man. Mm-hmm. You know? Yes, that is a thing. Listen, I, I'm constantly telling my children if you lie to me and I can't trust you, I can't help you when you really need it exactly. because I don't want to have any doubts about what you are saying. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So once, you break, once you break trust, that's it. I know when you tell me something, when my children tell me something, I can go forward with it. 
Yeah. You know, people talk, and this is why I told people I could interview my son because he will tell me things that he wouldn't tell you, you know, the the strangers. So therefore, once he said, I will ask him. I say, Marshall, so 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 so, and if he tell me no, I know it's no. Laura, go ahead. Yes. So, lady, in in this book, you also talk about a lot of the qualities and traits that really made you know are responsible for Marshall seeing 40 years in the business. Um, and I think this is where you were talking about where you and I agreed <laughs> when we had similar ideas about, yeah. you know, some of the traits, some of the, the, the resilience, the, the ability to constantly reinvent his partnership with, with always with fresh new young collaborators. Risk taking. Um, Risk taking. Mm-hmm. Yes. Bridge, but yeah. interestingly, um, you know, at the beginning of the book, and this is really a, a question Nigel had. Um, you, you have a disclaimer at the beginning of yes. the book. Yes. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I, I, this is not something you normally see in a book where people say, well, these are the things that made this person successful. Mm-hmm. If it didn't work for you, don't come first. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> I just wanted to know what prompted the inclusion of a disclaimer in a biography. That, that was my um, question. You see, because I don't want it to be a Bible. I don't want people to feel because Marshall did this, this is what they have to do. Mm. I am telling you, this is what he did, right? You now have to take it for yourself and see whether you can identify with it and whether there's something in there that could motivate you or that could inspire you. You don't have to take anything, but you can see, for example, I wanted to bring out the idea that here was a, a, a boy from a country, from in a small island in the Caribbean, and coming out of um, humble beginnings and working hard to achieve something. So whatever field you go in, there are things that you can do to achieve success. But I don't want to say to you to do this because each individual has his or her own experiences. But right. use that as a, maybe an inspiration, a motivation, an idea of, yes, this is what. But I wanted you to know that this is what this little boy did to get to where he is today. That's important. That, that, I like that. I like that. So basically, it's, it's, a, it's a template, but it's not, you don't have to follow not it. the Bible. It's, yes, not the Bible. You don't have to follow it to the letter. Yes. Let and it inspire it, you, basically. Let it inspire you. Let it motivate you. Let it question you or you question it, you know, and some of the other things there too is sometimes we don't know, Michelle. We don't know the experiences we believe, mm-hmm. you know, and one person asks me some questions there. They believe that almost as though this was given to Michelle on, on, on a gold platter or a silver platter or whatever. Mm-hmm. And maybe that he didn't really work for it. It was so um, so dramatic and all these things. No, right? It was blood, sweat, and tears, hard work. In in the night when a lot of people sleep in, Marshall is up. When Marshall go to the studio and he comes in in the morning, and he comes six in the morning, he's going to wake me up to listen to the music. We will go and drive on the highway to make sure that his song and go through his car. He will come back. He will sleep for a few hours and go back in his studio. Then he'll come if he hear one thing, he go back. And you'll hear in the book where young producers saying that, that with Marshall, you have to be patient because Marshall will go word by word. He will listen. And also to do that, we ensured that he went to school to learn recording, engineering, and producing mm-hmm. so that he knew what he was doing. Yeah, I, and, I, and, and, and you, sorry, sorry, Nigel. You, you continue. You continue. You continue. 
you spoke to it's also about the power of community and people giving giving him chances because it wasn't as though as soon as he put out songs they, they he was getting airplay all the time or he was getting gigs all the time and i exactly. i remember there's a party spoke with ellis Charlin on giving him allowing him to go on stage at an event which was a big deal for him so yeah. it was this also the people you know opening gates for him because right. it would they wouldn't automatically open no, like, um, I go back when, um, when the person's talking to me about Soka Mafia and martial music being played on the radio all the time. I said, listener, in 1986, all you know who we had to compete with was Pharaoh, was Kitchener, was, um, David Rudder, mm-hmm. was Stalin, was all these people. Shadow. And I mm-hmm. walk the street, Shadow, and I walk the street and carry my album to the radio stations, all the radio stations. And they were not playing it because remember David Rudder had all these big songs and mm-hmm. he had all this and all the other stars and things. But we had patience and I said to them, let them wait when spectacular open and they see this child perform. It will be a horse of a different color. There you go. Right? And that horse come out flying. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to just give a little small. I want to give a small anecdote. As you're talking about the the, the um the, pro, the the kind of realities and how difficult it was to get the songs on the radio, I'm going to give you a little anecdote. Back in the, I think it was in the 90s, um, there was this fet poison. You used to have a fet in Dunross School, and they had two bands. It was Marshall and Prana, so well, ecstatic, I should say, and Second Image. And the, and, the, and Marshall is on stage putting down serious work, and the audience was oblivious to him and they were kind of had some of them had their backs turned to him and a young lady stand up next to me just turned around in the middle of performance and said hey look marshall montano on stage i guess he's no longer too young to soak her and then she turned back around and continued her conversation so i am aware there were years where marshall was you know really in the in the in the, in the vineyard working hella hard to even get recognition because people were there for the other band. But in no time flat, we know that, well, I, I, in my estimation, Big Truck to me was a, a transitional year, right? The year of Big Truck. But it is clearly obvious and clear and patently for anybody who's listening to this and anybody who studies Marshall's career, that one, hard work is necessary. Two, you have to get up when you fall down. And as, as you said, these are the values that you taught your children. And I think they're so, so important. And I think managers now, can reflect on those and you could teach managers how to manage that I'm, I'm going to suggest that for you as a second career, <laughs> including book writing. A fourth career. A fourth career. Yeah. Officer, author, and now you want me to come to teach. Hey. <laughs> we worried about you. <laughs> they tell you it was too old. No, you're not too old to write. <laughs> Marshall is too young to soak her. You're not too old to do new things. <laughs> you know, this, this was important. I must say, I must say, you know. Yes. Um. So you're you're gonna. I, I don't know if you're gonna continue with a, a, a more a further story about the difficulty of Marshall getting on the radio back then. Um. I will talk about um the the music itself. Like when you said that big truck was a mm-hmm. turning point, it definitely was because um that um early years ended in 1996 mm-hmm. with the Bajan invasion. Yes. Right? And the invasion was in 1996. And at the time, Marshall came to the realization that we have to do something and we have to do it ourselves. So again, we didn't quarrel. We didn't go to the radio station and say they were not um, playing our music. We didn't go and tell the promoters, why are you playing um, um, Alison Hines and, and Yearwood? All Scare one and thing, yeah. 
So we we went to um, New York. Michelle rented an apartment, and he locked us away there and said, "We are going to record an album with at least five or six hits." <laughs> and everybody live in Brooklyn, and we came out with several. It's um, big farm, pretty yeah, big yeah. Um, what they say, they say. Mm. So we had about five or six from that, you know. Um, so therefore, we were able to um, conquer that and not by complaining or, or going and telling people or anything. We put in the work because we realized at the time that the music that was coming out of Barbados was at the time Sweetan was meeting the needs of the people, mm. right? We also realized, Marshall had realized that young people were not liking music in soca music and that they were gravitating towards hip hop and and uh, mm-hmm. and reggae mm-hmm. and, and lip thinking and they will invite Marshall to party time and he'll be there singing the calypso and they go into the bar or they singing um amazing grace. Mm. Right? And then Marshall did, did did a trick on them. He would sing um a little reggae and a little thing and then he'll switch back to the calypso. Right? And then when you watch them and how they come in, he'll switch back to what they like. And mm-hmm. this is, this song, this, uh, made, the, this, he made a decision where, okay, so he's now going to experiment with the music. And this mm-hmm. is when he started to mix the genres and mm-hmm. when he started to collaborate with, um, artists from other genres and other, um, backgrounds, you know? Mm-hmm. And he was able to change it around because all the youths who didn't want, to be part of it and now doing very well in soca music. They love it and they're very big and well mm. well admired, well respected. But he was the one you call who cut the grass. Yeah. Yeah. He was a child. yeah, you know, he was a child and he went ahead because when he went to Star Search, he was going to sing um just the two of us and two mm. young to soca, right? And he said should I sing the ballad or should I sing my thing? Should I do it for my country? And he chose to do Too Young to Soka. Yep, and I he, was, he was a pioneer there where he was the first child or the first one doing soca music to that extent on national TV in the States so where all these stars come, Beyonce and all of them make their name in stars. So That's true. And he, he did it. He took, he, he took the risk of doing that. It's, it's the same thing when he went to party time. Should I give up my um my soca, my calypso, and go and do just like what the others doing? And he said, No, I think it is my duty. And then people looked towards him to um to deliver them to this bigger international market. And the strain was always there on him. You know, I remember one artist saying, Well, um, you know, we thought Marshall would take us to the Grammys. But it looked like Marshall is not Marshall. They don't know what it takes to get to the Grammys. Wow. So the you have to be registered as a member as of, a the member of the Academy. Academy, which Marshall is. And Marshall has been nominated for several years in the first round. But when yes. you go in the other round, who is going to vote for you when you have nobody or you must be have 10 people who are registered? When you're coming up against reggae, or yes. you are up against world music like African. How is the Trinidadian going to win? So when they feel it depends on an, uh, on an individual, it's not that. 
It depends on our movement. It depends on, our, on us coming together and lobbying for our music, but we don't do that. We see everything as being an individual um, thing, or we find it shouldn't be Marshall, and if it's Marshall, we're not going to support it. Why not somebody else? Cut enough of a nose, a spite or a face. Yeah. I have, I have written, I, I, I used to write for the Guardian, I write now for Caribbean Beat and well, Laura is the top journalist in the Caribbean, number one entertainment journalist in the Caribbean and Trinidad and Tobago, Laura Dorich. <laughs> Don't stop smiling. <laughs> but the, I had written about that same thing about the idea of the, the same Grammy consideration and what to do and what not to do. But Marshall's career was certainly a template. For how to make it. The idea, as I said, I will continue to say this. Teamwork, having a knowledgeable management team around you and, and persons that you can trust. Because we, everybody knows the horror stories about managers who rip off artists and that kind of stuff, right? Um, it's interesting to hear, to hear you say that you were never paid, right? Which I guess <laughs> there's nothing to steal or you can trust it that way. But I, I'm just very, that, that, that shocks me. I'm not going to lie to you. That's, that is a shock to hear, to hear you say that you weren't paid. But hey, more power to you. Blood thicker than water. I can't vex with you at all for that. But I, I think. Never thing, um, if you, if you look at me, I live a very simple life, you know, and mm. I don't ask much, right? Mm. My thing that I get pleasure out of and Laura know is I love to know that if I do something for you, that mm-hmm. you achieve something. And this is what I, I like. Mm-hmm. It's not that if I get $20,000 or what. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I don't really have to go in search of money. My kids will take care of me and I have a pension. And I, and before that, I used to work mm-hmm. for enough money because I was qualified. So money was mm-hmm. never my thing. And I always say too, that if you put in the work, the money will come. Correct. But I, I expect the money to come and I'm not doing the work. You understand? So that, yeah. that is my whole philosophy in, in life. And I think it has worked for us because it's the same way people don't know. People feel Marshall making all this set of money all the time. And sometimes Marshall will do something and not take money so that other people can get it or depending on the opportunity. The money is not what it is important. It's the opportunity. Wow. So it depends. And we don't, it has never been that. And even if Marshall has made or is making a lot of money, there were times when Marshall worked for $10, $100. When we were working with um, Spectacle in 1986, they hired Marshall to work on the weekend and to sing with Roy Cape. Monty yes, yes. went to Mr. Martino and said to him, we would like to bring our band of young boys to back Marshall and we will use Roy Cape to augment it with the horns. Mr. Martino said, but Monty, I can't pay no bank. Monty said, we're not looking for money. We will take the same money. You pay Marshall and we will share it up. Wow. They don't know that. We go to Canada. They, they, they supporting Marshall. We carry the whole band. We stay in one room and it have a bed and a couch. Monty and I would sleep on the floor. The boys will have the bed and the couch and thing, and then we get up and we dress and we go and mash up the place. <laughs> Nobody knows how we live in. And we come back and we are satisfied. Mm, you know, mm. But people always feel that, oh, this and why Marshall and why they giving Marshall the opportunity and why they ain't giving the sugar cake man, why they giving him. We <laughs> <laughs> understanding that the business, mm. if you call on me now, Laura, for something, I could just as the click of a button. Yeah. I could get the bio. I could get his export plan. I could get um financial statements. I could get um whether he paid that on right and, and the management he could come up. I if I call Nate now, I say Nate, 
could you send me um, the, the, the instrumental for the song you? That second, I get in it. Yeah, because they have everything in place. We don't have to go look. In place, you know? Yeah. And this is what makes the difference. I, I, I recognize your passion and I, I believe these are the stories that were going to be coming out in the book, obviously. To become the king of soccer is a lot of hard work and there's a lot of labor in the vineyard. I think it was the phrase I was looking for before. And I, I hear in your passion and I think artists, all you have to disclaimer in the book and it's not necessarily a textbook or a Bible. I think there are many lessons to be learned by reading the story of Marshall. And I, it's something I, I'm as a, I'm a collector of books. You're probably not seeing some behind me here, but I have a lot of artist biographies, musical artist biographies. I'm a fan of that genre of books. And there's one thing that becomes very apparent that yes, some artists can be just thrown in and then a producer will just hand them hits because they look pretty or some kind of thing. So, but the idea of hard work and hard work for Caribbean artists, because Marshall is the king of soca, but we have dancehall and reggaeton and reggae and calypso all trying to compete and to get a space in, in the American market, the European market, the Asian market, and now the African market as it was. But a lot of people don't want to do the hard work. And as I said, Today is 40 years of Marshall's career, but even at 10 years of Marshall's career, he was working hella hard. And that is something that I, I, I'm hoping that our listeners get into their, their consciousness that the soca industry is, yes, it's running second place to, to dance all and maybe running third place if you include reggaeton at the top and that kind of stuff. But we have to work. We have to work and we have to work hard. I want to ask you a couple more book questions, if you don't mind, about the actual physical book, right? Because it's an impressive book. It's up 10 inches by 10 inches. How many pages? About three, 400 pages? About 310. About. Yeah, 310 pages. A nice physical book, right? And and the only other book I saw of Caribbean artists is comparable. Well, they have a few coffee table books on Bob Marley and um, we certainly have Pat Chin, Patricia Chin from VP Record, she did a, a biography last year. And this is basically in that same wheelhouse as it was. And to me, that's, that is a keepsake as it was. But let me just ask you, because you had a thesis, what, what prompted you to go in the direction of a coffee table book as opposed to just a standard six inch by nine inch book with plenty of words and some pictures in the middle? I, as I tell everybody, I say, first to begin, I see things in color. Right, so I can't have it in um in black and white because you can't tell a Caribbean story or you can't tell a Trinidad story or you can't tell a Marshall story in black and white. I love that. I love that. Do that when you go down the road, right? In addition to which, I also find that people don't um they don't collect and they don't document, and I would have liked to share um some of the things that I have collected over the years. Right. And I think this will what put me separate and apart from some of the others. And this is why I decided that I will go this way because I didn't get the opportunity when I was doing my thesis. I wasn't allowed to include the, um, the newspaper articles and all the pictures I wanted and, and that kind of thing. And this was the reason to why I chose to publish the book myself because I didn't want anybody to tell me when to publish it, what to do with it must be black and white. I wanted to tell the story as it is. If you want to take it now and do whatever you want, mm. it's all well and good. But this is from the ultimate insider. I love that name. The ultimate insider. I, I love that name. Yes. Yes. And I, wanted it, I wanted to tell them 
because somebody might want to say, I wanted to tell them that the ultimate insider reveals this was a no soca mafia. You if I could hold and maintain a position for 40 years, I real good in the soca mafia. If I could, if there's such a thing, I real good. I'm, I think the only person who must be as like that was Eric Williams. Had to be, to stay mm. so long in a, man, it mm. had to be a real good. So, but it's not that. It's blood, sweat, and tears. Blood, sweat, and tears. The, the whole theory of um, Ahsoka Mafia, I, I spoke to the head of a radio station who, who told me effectively that he only owns three radio stations and there are 36 radio stations in Trinidad and Tobago. So the notion of Ahsoka Mafia, the maths doesn't add up to, to prove that. My anecdote about Marshall at Poison Fett also tells me that there, were, there was an era when Marshall was not the number one Ahsoka artist in the world. That much is clear. Exactly. But the, Right. Um, so lady, um, in writing this book, going, going, going through the archives, reliving a lot of these things, a lot, of, a lot of these events. Um, what, what was the high point for you in these 40 years of Marshall's career? Ah, uh, one of them was definitely when Marshall won the Caribbean Broadcasting Union, um, song, right? Song, song of the year. A song festival. Song right? fest. Yes. Yes. Because I remembered, when we sang in Trinidad, Marshall came second. And there was a reason why he didn't come first. But um they 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 allowed the first three people to go to the finals of the um Caribbean Broadcasting Union competition, right? Three people were chosen to go there. And Marshall was twelve years of age, and everybody else were adults. And I remember clearly, and I know that is the way Marshall is. I remember when we had the rehearsals for the show, Marshall come and he sing it, sing ordinary and you watching around everybody and he just looking and everybody, they bring the, the, um, grand piano and the this and the that and everybody explaciating, you know. But I know that when he come the night, it will be again a horse of a different color. So the night when he come and he sang, he, the name of the song was Dream Girl, and he dedicated the song to me, and the way he presented it was something else. You know, so when the results came out now, they started to call from fifth place. Fifth place, fourth place, third place, second place, not a Trinidadian. And there are three of us there. And then they said, and the first place winner is Trinidadian. And well, everybody look around now. Trinidadian, which Trinidadian? <laughs> And then it was prefaced, I should say, by Trinidadian 12-year-old Marshall Montano. Boy, was Marcus and I there, and we jump up, you know, and it was just something else. Um, so that was one of the major high points. Then there was one that I shared that Marshall shares, that Marshall says is one of his, um, like, Diana, when you go there and you see 40,000 people, coming out to see you as Marshall Montano. And you say, well, yes, I'm doing something good, you know. So we had, you know, there are so many good times. Then we had all the Madison Square Gardens in 2007. We sold out two shows in one night. And it was the same night when um, Elton John was in another part of uh, Madison. And we are the only act that sold out 
Madison hmm. Square Gardens, two shows in one night. Theater at Madison Square Gardens, correct. Hmm. I, well, I remember that that particular year, I think he had done the Rainbow Room. He had done Hammersmith Odeon in London. I, I remember thinking, this man is hitting like the biggest, biggest venues, the most significant venues. And he's putting so on the map. I say, who is this man? Who, I, and I, I know that the market, and Marshall has said this, and you have said this, that he wants to take Soka to every corner of the globe. He wants to make through the energy of Soka. Everybody has it. And I just want to circle back to my book question one last time. And this is probably my last book question. Um, who is the market for this book? Clearly Trinidadians, yes. But uh, you have a strategic plans in terms of distribution to North America, to Europe, to Africa, to the Commonwealth, wherever? <clears throat> I would like to, to give it to all those who are willing to receive it. You know, like they always tell you, you should have aim for a market. They always try to tell you who is your target market and what. I first and again, I want to take it to schools, right? So school children is one. I want to take it to communities because we were um, a big part of a community, Carnage and Separia. And we also live in a community in Jamaica. And then I want to take it to universities. But the main thing is I want to share this knowledge of a Caribbean story of a young person who persevered, hmm. who was um, resilient, and who was able to achieve something in life, and who is still, mm-hmm. because I have the last, the epilogue says, beyond the forty. And one of the things you said there, which is that Marshall wanted to take it to the corners of the globe. This is how he had it in the beginning, looking at taking it to the corners of the globe and spreading the message was like winning a Grammys, going to China, mm. going to Japan, going to here and singing here and there, right? But now that same taking it to the corners of the globe means something different to Marshall. It mm. is now what can I give to the world? Mm-hmm. So you see him going into a very spiritual direction and still moving with his soca music. You know, sometimes the transition looks kind of difficult, but it's there and it is what it is. And it has, it has been, it, it evolved naturally or organically. And I said, you know, on March the 1st, 2022, Carnival Tuesday morning, Marshall Montano did take his music to the corners of the globe when he sang soca music and introduced soca music to India, where there were about 140 million mm-hmm. people present. Really it happened in one moment, mm-hmm. and it happened in a different kind of setting, and where when you watch, you see the people dancing, and he introduced um, Trinidad and Tobago, the West Indies, he introduced Ra Shorty Eye, he mm. introduced Marge Blackman, mm-hmm. and, then, and then he sang music, soca music, you know. Yeah. He's, he's always willing to share, and, and, and the collaborations, as you recognize it, are a key part of his career. He's collaborated with basically every dancehall artist, certainly most soca artists, and legends, Sparrow, Calypso, Rose, and these people are their prime. And the pop artists, yeah, and even reggaeton, Afrobeats, Afro everything, yeah, and, and that idea and of willing to share. Mm-hmm. Don't Pitbull, yes, and you did the yeah. French, I remember you had done over Mr. Fett on a French label, I remember yeah. that. And so, then you were this guy who's from, um, what's the name of the band again? Kassav, yeah, Jacob Bestrevo, yes, late deceased. From Cuba, you know. Mm-hmm. Marshall has understood, and, and I keep bringing it back to you, 
the start of your career is, I think, is what gets you to where you are after 40 years. So that that groundation that you and Monty put in in those very early years, when you were still too young to soak up, up to the point when you said you brought in his his new management as it was, I think that is so, 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 so critically important. And it is noteworthy that you, I, I said it before and I'm going to say it again, you need to teach management, music, my artist <laughs> management, because yeah. you have, if this is what it is, um, what's his name? Serena's father, Richard Williams, teaching his daughters to play tennis. Every, John McEnroe famous, John McEnroe famous, he said, they should just hire the man. Why you want to get a coach? Hire Richard Williams, full stop. And a similar situation had been said about that same, um, Joe Jackson, Michael's father, Michael's and Janet's father, that they have done something that many other managers has never been able to do. And I'm seeing this. And uh, the book is a kind of, as a point in your career, but that career that you started as a, a teacher guidance officer and that kind of stuff, and now an author with a, an MPhil, you should have gotten your PhD, but the hell was you? <laughs> I don't need to be called doctor. I'm good. I hear you. But, yeah. um, I think in terms of this, this sphere and this, in terms of the sphere of business of music and Caribbean and a few business managers we do have who manage popularly dance or artists and that kind of stuff. Your name has to be in that pantheon and those who don't accept and acknowledge that are at peril. That's my yes. little that's my little TED talk for this for this point. No, you're right, Nigel. And 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 to ladies credit, lady, you are seventy one years old. You are You're doing that son. live on the radio come lady, on with, with lady, that. But Okay. I'll be 72 in November. Right. Okay. That's a shame. That's a shame. best, but I'm looking good. <laughs> but, 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 and this lady is a mentor for me um, because she is really, she really sets an example. She's not a person who shares no slowing down. And being part of your marketing committee, lady, I was able to see exactly why Marshall is the success he is. Because let me tell you, Nigel, lady does not wait on anybody to do her business. She gets it done. She mm. doesn't wait. She, something needs to be done. She is pushing, pushing, pushing. She making sure it gets done. She has drive. She Caribbean has mothers, Caribbean she women. Has we get the job done. Yes. And I mean, oh, 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 you are, you are manager for your son. You run the, the Monta, you, you are the matriarch of the Montano family business, the Montano's chocolate business. You are traveling to spread the word and get, you know, open new markets for this business. And now you have your own publishing company. So are there plans Ooh. to do more books in this publishing company, lady? Laura, you know how many people <laughs> ask me, you included, to do my <laughs> memoirs, right? Yes, please. Yes. Uh, <laughs> But I have sympathy on me now. Let me finish this one now. Because I don't want to, I don't like to do a job halfway. Right? So let me make sure that this one is well delivered. Because yes. at the end of the day, as I say, I am very, very, very concerned about young people and how we socialize young people and how parents prepare their children for adulthood. And when... um. When you're always saying that um, the the values or, or the teachings of when he was too young to soak up, this started, as I said, in the 70s, so that by the time our children were seven and nine, these core values were already instilled in them so that when they did go out, they knew what it meant to work hard and to push and to strive for excellence and, you know, and to be patient and to be sharing and all these things. They knew that from early. 
so that when they entered the entertainment business, they were prepared. Mm. And they had good examples in you and Monty. Really yeah, good examples. Monty and I um, worked very hard in our um, in our career because remember I was a guidance officer. Monty was I'm um, a geologist, and we worked real hard. We didn't. We were not eight to four. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I I would travel the whole country, and I would go to the schools. And there was a school that um, other officers might not have wanted to go, and I would go. You know, and my children saw that, so that we lived up by certain examples. You know, and that's how children learn. They don't necessarily learn from what you say; they learn from what you do. What you do, exactly. Mm-hmm. And yeah. remember, they do all the time, eh? most of the time. So the um the memoirs is down the road. Let good. me for this good. <laughs> let, let me just add one little little and another anecdote that you can add to this memoir. Just it just popped into my head. Back in the too young to soccer era, as you admitted, there were some. Some spears that were pelted at, at Marshall because literally he was too young to soak. He shouldn't be singing in a tent, blah, 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 blah. And Mighty Sparrow said it to very, very clearly. He said, what is wrong with you people? The man has two parents and he has two intelligent parents and they know how to guide him. I always remember that statement by Sparrow. Sparrow acknowledged and, and, and kind of reinforced your role as manager's parents and hope that, well, as far as going to go, I mean, Marshall is going to go very far. And well, <laughs> as we can see, right? Yeah, forty years later. <laughs> yeah, as we can see. But I, I, there were people who Trinidad is this kind of society, and I, um, I can't speak for the other areas, other islands in the Caribbean, but I know I've heard all these stories. But where there's all these jabs and you know slings and arrows and that kind of stuff. But the, the big, the other thing that you all have done is what I kind of have a, a kind of steely personality where you have a, a defense force that like a duck water could run off your back. Oh, look at you it. It, it appears in the book and I'm waiting to tell you that, you know. There you go. Tell me, tell me. I told my children that when people talk about you, it's like water on a duck's back, just mm-hmm. rolling off. Rolling off, yes, because. You know your truth, you know, mm-hmm. and, and the people will say all these things and you can't always pick up everything everybody would say. And a lot of these times, the people who will talk, they don't know. They don't even know you. Mm-hmm. You know, people will watch at me. I want to give this example. They will look at me and say, look at how I read. Boy, she does real smoke marijuana. I have never said that. I have never smoked, smoked one day in my life, but my eye was damaged in an accident. Wow. They don't know. So you see these kind of things. Um, Lady, you don't even drink. I never drank. Welcome to the club. Me when I was young and they feel, oh God, I drink in and I have never. Right, and people don't understand that, and yet people will go out there and say things that they don't know, and they will say that, sure, my uncle was there, my father, my uh, my cousin was a doctor, my this, and they will be given things that they don't know about, and that they hear and they spread in, but as we say, it's just rolling off, except mm. when there is disrespect. Not only for us, but for somebody else. So I remember the first time that we really answered was with Dr. Mashup. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I remember yeah. that, yes. At, at Dr. Mashup part two, which I think was really, really good. I remember it. Yeah, that was good. That was really, really good stuff. And that, um, mm. We always let people say and we tell them that, you know, the truth will always reveal itself. And, it's, and the truth is in the book. I mean, come on, people, get ready program. Go and buy the book. I'm doing a little marketing for you. Go yes, yes, definitely. And on that note, lady, if you can tell our listeners where they can get the King of Soka. Right. You can get the King of Soka online and you can get it in bookstores. 
You can go online at www.kingofsoka.com and you can order your book and it will be delivered to you any part of the world. And then we have it in bookstores here. We have started um, distributing. We have paper base. We have Metropolitan. We have um, we'll get Nigel Arkan. We have um, all, the, all the bookstores are regional, unique. Everybody's going to get the bookstores so in Trinidad. Mm. Yeah, your favorite bookstores. Mm. And then come Ju- um, September 9th, I'm launching in New York, just um, a few days after our 40th concert at Barclays Center. Barclays Center, say it again. I love that. Go ahead. <laughs> love and that. I am launching with um, the Brooklyn Caribbean Literary Festival. Um, some young Trinidadian um, mm-hmm. female writers. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That I'm going to launch in New York on the 9th of September. Congratulations, congratulations, congratulations. What? I love that. Miami and I'm going to tell you, spreading the message now. So Mm. wait on the memoirs. You know, that life, to tell that life is another story. Yes, indeed. We cannot wait. So, ladies and gentlemen, if you're a fan of Marshall Montano, you're a fan of Soka, you're, you're looking for a good present for a music love in your life. If you're you a fan of Caribbean music, get real. This is bigger music, than just the Trinidad. Get, mm. get this book. It really King is a of Soka by it's Lady Elizabeth Montano. It is ultimate insider. Ultimate, ultimate insider. insider. And ultimate. it is not... Uh, it's not a simple book of a mommy writing about her son. No. This is a researcher and she had this, she made the statement, objectivity versus subjectivity. And it's the truth. A lot of rumors that you've heard, they will be corrected by reading the book. And it's a nice book. As she said, Caribbean stories have to be in color. And it's a physical document, a nice, nice hefty coffee table book. Spend your money. Yes. It'll be a good investment. Shout yeah. out to practice for the design. It's really a beautiful well, design well, book. Well, let me tell you something. And that is another thing that we taught our children is to, um, is to invest in local, is to appreciate and respect local. And I remember one of the things they were telling me that the book couldn't be printed in Trinidad because of all different reasons. And I say, but wait, America, all these places, they send their books to China to be printed. And I thought it was because they will get it much cheaper. I said, but in Trinidad, there must be some quality. And then Monty kept behind me. Liz, you're sure that you can't get this done in Trinidad? And listening to Monty and hearing him come in and tell me that, you know, over and over, I say, I'm going out and search. Yeah. I did search and we came up with office authority. Mm-hmm. Shout out. Proud of how they printed our book. Mm-hmm. And then don't talk about practice. Practice, again, young people, and they did our chocolate. Um, package and I was very impressed mm-hmm. and I didn't have to think twice of who I will ask to design the book and it was well designed well laid out and well printed and I, I want to say but I am sure and maybe well written <laughs> it was well written it was well written I had a great coach Dr. Virginia McGowan Mm-hmm. who is an anthropologist and she lives in Canada, but she studied and lived in Trinidad. Mm-hmm. And she was my editor for my thesis. Mm-hmm. And I went with her for my book. And Good book. No toys about it. And, <laughs> yes. and, and reviews will be coming. No, I don't want to give any further details, but reviews will be coming. 
Lady, I want, to, Lady I want to thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to speak with us on Music Matters. It's a pleasure having you here. And once again, thank you so much being on the journey with you. It was phenomenal. Being part of this process for the first biography of the King of Soka was absolutely phenomenal. Thank you so much. Continue to be an inspiration to all of us, all of your extra children, right? <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Yeah, and just let me just stick this in as a person who's not writing the foreword of your book, but as an observer <laughs> of the music industry, it is an impressive book. It stands up there with any kind of large coffee table book about biographies and memoirs in the Caribbean and well, as well as any internationally. Let's not play games about it. It's a well, it's a beautifully designed package. It tells a story that is true and it has the kind of lessons, despite the disclaimer, that if you study the book, you can have a career. You may not, your career may be bigger. It may be smaller, but you can have a career because these are the lessons. So it becomes a textbook, a coffee table book, a nice display book, as well as a memoir. And I thank you for putting it into the consciousness of the people of Trinidad and Tobago, the Caribbean and the rest of the world. All the best in the future. And remember, it gives you the true story about Marshall Mandela. Can't deny that. It's all about the truth. Indeed. Indeed. All about the truth. Laura? This has been well, an absolutely fabulous podcast, and I want to thank Lady, and I want to thank you for getting Lady on the podcast as this, <laughs> at this time. At this time, so, ladies and gentlemen, that has been the podcast for this evening. I am Nigel Campbell. I am Laura Dowridge Phillips, and you've been listening to Music Matters, the Caribbean edition. Bye. 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 Thank, thank you, you Lady. Hey everyone, thanks so much for listening to Music Matters, the Caribbean edition. If you enjoyed the podcast, please like, subscribe, and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Music Matters Caribbean. And if you want to listen to our previous podcasts and keep up with our new material, check out the website podcast.iradio.tt or listen and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Radio Public, and more of your favorite podcast platforms.